Welcome to the Queer SLP Podcast. We are two speech-language pathologists who identify with the LGBT plus community. On each episode, we'll highlight relevant queer issues and stories from our field. The Queer SLP Podcast's mission is to provide informative and pertinent content from proud and chatty SLPs. All right, we are ready to go. Okay. Hello, this is Hector, and my pronouns are he, him. And I'm Natalie, and my pronouns are she, her. Welcome to our second episode. Today, we are going to introduce to some of you the concept of cultural humility, its three tenets, and barriers to achieving these in the professional setting. After we break it down for you, we'll provide you a few resources to refer back to and discuss some practical application in the field of speech-language pathology and other professional fields. But... Before we get to the nitty gritty, let's check in. Hector, how are you doing? Actually, we are currently recording separately because I'm choosing to self-quarantine with a few friends during the pandemic. So that's the most recent update from my life. Other than that, continuing to do some furniture restoration. I actually washed and detailed my car for the first time in months. I've also been helping my buddy Jake finish his garage and we put together his home gym. So I'm finally restarting my training, which I've been missing for the last few. I don't even know how long. Other than that, nothing much since we are stuck inside due to the self-quarantine. What about you? Uh, Also staying at home. Andrea continues to work from home with her job and I'm on summer break. So we are here at the apartment with the cats. And the other night... We hit a milestone. We finally finished all 15 seasons and the two-part finale of CSI. Which (laughs) Which CSI? The original one. Oh, okay. (laughs) Yes. We are shipping Nick Stokes pretty hard over here. Oh my gosh. Who doesn't? (laughs) Are you kidding me? He's got that square jaw and he's got that big heart. We just love him. I've been working on crocheting my wedding dress. So I You never said you were doing that. Oh, it's totally true. I am crocheting doilies and I'm going to attach them to a dress and that's going to be my wedding dress. Oh, I love that. I can't wait to see. Like veil too or just dress? Just the dress. So that's a huge project. I probably have about half the doilies done and I have a year to finish it. So I think I am right on track. Other than that, listening to my favorite podcast and thinking a lot about this podcast and I'm just so proud of us that we made our dream happen. So that's it for me. All right. So with that in mind, should we get started? Yeah, let's talk about it. What is cultural competency? Cultural competency is a framework used by professionals to understand, communicate with, and effectively interact with people from diverse cultures. To us, it seems like cultural competence is more focused on the other person's culture and not really examining our own cultural backgrounds and histories, which leads us to the concept of cultural humility and its three tenets. According to the National Institute of Health, cultural humility is defined as a lifelong process of self-reflection and self-critique 
whereby the individual not only learns about another's culture, but one starts with an examination of her or his own beliefs and cultural identities. The term was first coined in 1998 by healthcare professionals Melanie Turvalon and Jan Murray Garcia, who originally described cultural humility as a tool used to educate physicians. So it was primarily for the medical setting, especially those who were working with culturally, ethnically, and racially diverse populations in the United States. This concept is applicable for more than just the medical field. Any professional working with someone different from themselves in terms of race, ethnicity, gender, religion, sexual preference, socioeconomic status, or even geographic location in any cultural context in any part of the world would benefit from this framework. The first tenet of cultural humility is that it is distinct from cultural competency. Cultural competency has some shortcomings, one of which is that whiteness is understood and represented as the norm. Cultural incompetence is then framed as being due to a lack of knowledge about the other. In short, the goal of cultural competency is to learn about the other person's culture rather than reflect on one's own background. Which pretty much, I think, sums up what we were thinking in our own heads as we were discussing this. Right. That cultural competency is more about learning aspects of a culture, whereas humility is more about examining your own background. The next tenet is that we move between several different cultures, often without even thinking about it. Usually we think of culture in terms of religion, ethnicity, race, sexuality, but we also need to consider socioeconomic status and gender and location. So how you behave when you're at home may be different than how you behave at work. Right. So those are two different cultures and two different sets of norms that you need to know. And then also people. You may act differently with your family and have your own culture around your family, but then your friends, you are acting differently and you have different rules. Like middle Uh, child syndrome or... Being the baby of the family, things yeah. like that, right? You're like, you have middle child syndrome, right? Oh, totally. <laughs> really, in cultural humility, a person can't begin to understand another person's life without being aware and reflective of their own background and situation first. So you can't grow unless you acknowledge your own culture and personal biases. Right. The third tenet is that cultural humility requires some historical awareness. So you can't fully appreciate the present without acknowledging the past. For example, you can't fully appreciate the Black Lives Matter movement without exploring the civil rights movement, or you can't appreciate the LGBT rights movement without understanding Stonewall or the AIDS crisis. So by recognizing the failures of the past, we can all contribute to building a better future. And that is founded in the practices of cultural humility. So to summarize, the three tenets of cultural humility are knowing that cultural humility is different from cultural competence, being aware of and reflecting on your own background, and we must have an awareness of history. That's right. So why should we care about cultural humility? We have a lot of thoughts on this issue. Here are just some of our thoughts. In my opinion, the road to cultural competency is cultural humility. By better understanding ourselves, we can connect to others more easily. 
I think that's a really good one, especially about knowing who you are, knowing your biases. If you make baseless judgments about the world around you without realizing where you're coming from, you're never going to really connect with people. For us as speech language pathologists, we also have a code of ethics that we abide by as professionals, which dictates how we conduct ourselves as part of our organization. So my thought on that, I'm wondering, Hector, I have a wonder, do you think the code of ethics is more of a cultural competency sort of thing? Or do you think that it's more of a cultural humility kind of thing? It's a great question because it's a two-step for me. Like we said about the role of cultural competence begins with cultural humility. Mm -hmm. But in this space, as far as the, the intent behind the code of ethics, it definitely lends itself to a more of a cultural competence because you're trying to learn about others. Therefore, there's not as much emphasis on self-reflection. But again, we're going to keep reiterating throughout this podcast, at least for this episode, that you got to know yourself before you can really know others. That's my answer. What about you? Well, just to tag on to you, you mentioned something about the spirit of the code of ethics versus the written code of ethics. I think you're absolutely right that in the spirit of the code of ethics, it's more of a cultural humility thing. But then you have the letter of, of the code of ethics, which appears to be more of a cultural competence thing. And to get to that cultural competency, you have to have that cultural humility and you can get there. And the code of ethics is a guide. I have a question. Why do you think in our trainings, we focus more on cultural competence than we do on cultural humility? I think that cultural competence is a little more measurable. Mm. Uh, it's a little more concrete. And I think that cultural competence doesn't place very many demands on the core of who you are, if that makes any sense. So it's easier to focus it's on. It's easier. Mm -hmm. Okay. And it's easier to talk about. Hector and I have been on a journey in talking about this episode, and there's a lot of emotions in it and a lot of core beliefs that have come up as we've discussed this. Right. I think that that's harder to teach. It's harder to learn and it's safer. Cultural competence is safer. What do you think? I think the same lines with what you said. I often think that it's so much easier to point the finger outward it's also more efficient to say, oh, it's everybody else. That's something that therapists and other allied health compared to education has room to grow. Yeah, it seems to be that what we were talking about earlier with the weaknesses of cultural competency being that other focused frame of mind. Right. So other reasons we should care about cultural humility are that it can impact our decision making and treatment and interactions with our coworkers. It's about connection, right? One big thing in my practice is rapport building. Oh, and huge. Huge. It's so huge. If you don't have a relationship with that patient or student, you're not going to get very far. And knowing how that culture operates is great, but you have to also meet them where they are as a person. Right. And I think that list of like things that you know about a culture that's not yours is that cultural competency piece. But humbling yourself to be open to learning about that person and their views. I agree. By really reflecting on your own bias, on your own makeup, you allow yourself to see 
your true self as you are. And by doing that, you allow yourself to see others, not how you imagine them to be, not how you wish for them to be, but how they truly are. Anybody who works with anybody that is living and breathing can really utilize this framework when applying it to interpersonal work relationships or even, you know, clients or customers, you name it. You can connect in so many ways. You really can. As queer individuals, I think we need to recognize biases exist even between our own labels within the queer community. And so being aware of that is something that I think every group can really identify with. I agree. So what about barriers to getting to cultural humility? So going off of those basic tenets that we talked about before, looking for research or, you know, historical context as reference, being able to find those resources is a barrier to cultural humility. You have to keep in mind that people in your life may be experiencing fatigue because they've been asked so much. There's a lot to take on. Looking outside of those that are marginalized in books, in websites, in podcasts, and leaders within those communities that may not be your own personal connections, those are the places that you are able to go. Mm-hmm. So in other words, what we really need is for people to, to take accountability for their own personal growth. And that is a big ask. That's one of the big barriers, I'd say. It is a big barrier, but fortunately, we have a lot of resources. We just need to know where to find them. Right. And, you know, I think it can be hard to refrain from asking your friends who are experiencing this, but the fatigue can be a real huge drain on people. So hopefully through this podcast, you'll find some resources and we will relay those to you and you can seek them out. Agreed. And then the next thing that I would say is a barrier is assuming that we are more inclusive or understand the plight of others due to our own minority status. I had a friend who told me about this quote that really stuck with me. He went to his own cultural responsive training and he said a social worker told him, we must assume there is zero correlation between someone's identity as a minority and their level of inclusion for others. That just really... <laughs> that that quote is huge. There seems to be an attitude. I've noticed over time that people either seem to think that in the queer community, we're either completely like evil or we are above all biases and weaknesses and all that. And really, we're all people. We all have things to learn. We can't assume that we are absolved of learning and of growing because we are in a minority group. Really? Another barrier, I think, and I think this is especially true for speech language pathologists. Or any type A person. (laughs) That feeling like you need to reach mastery and that there's some sort of goal that when you get there, you're going to be perfect and everything's going to be hunky-dory and perfect. And the reality is that cultural humility is an ongoing process and we're never done. Mm -hmm. And I think that can be very hard for us speech language pathologists to resolve in our minds. We want to be excellent. We strive for excellence. And the idea of never being, never having mastered something is just really stressful for, I think, a lot of us. I think it's human nature to really want to be an expert before you even try. One of the most recent activists that I have started to follow, Ashley Marie Preston, said, it's never 
too early to start caring about civil rights, regardless of where you are at in your journey, because you're never going to be enough of an expert. You're never going to show enough mastery to be good at this. You just have to start. And I think that's one of the things that a lot of us have a hard time getting over. It's a hard one. Yeah, it is. I'm going to come back at you with another quote. Since we're sharing quotes. I love quotes. So Julia Cameron in The Artist's Way said that showing up for the work is the win that matters. I read that book 15 years ago and that quote has never left me. Just show up, right? Right. Yeah. You know, the funny thing with that is I guarantee all of us can so easily say that to a friend, but saying it to ourselves is like one oh. of the hardest things to do. But again, it's really another, hard. another barrier to cultural humility. So as professionals, and I think this is especially true for speech language pathologists, mm -hmm. it can be really difficult to build community in our workplace. I find myself very often working alone in my office, either doing paperwork or trying to you know, cram a lot of students into my schedule. And you know, the workplace is a great place and a great opportunity to learn from others and trying to carve in a little time to leave our bubbles and learn about the cultural makeup of the school community, your hospital community, whatever setting you work in. What do you think about that? I think I'll just say it out loud. I hate group work, but learning how to lean on each other and learning how to be open to hearing each other's perspectives and stories is another way that you can create a community. Mm -hmm. So we have all of these barriers and mm -hmm. we're done. No, what we're going uh -uh. to do. <laughs> no, you can't just look at the barrier and say, oh, well. Well, I mean, how many trainings have we all been to? And the majority of time, am I wrong, is let's just go over the terms and then come up with all the ideas, but then have no practical application. So well, those, those trainings you describe are cultural competency, not cultural humility, right? Yeah, right. How so, many trainings have we been to on cultural competency? Like, so many. Not just for us as speech-language pathologists, but I think everybody has one annual training that I can think of. So what I remember most about those trainings is pretty much every single one I've been to, you have to match the definition to the word. <laughs> yep. <laughs> like, how does this help me? I don't know. Mm -hmm. I know the definitions. And then you have the, like the squeaky wheels of the group are the first ones to just always put their They're two like, cents oh, in. I'm going to get in here. Okay. Right. I've got like, the words out. And I'm the most culturally competent out of everybody. Are you? Yay. Are you? Like, what? Do you get a Do you get a goal star for that? I don't know, but yeah. you know, the first step with that one is maybe you should take a class in cultural humility before you start praising your own wokeness. Yeah, and you can start <laughs> this podcast right right now. So, what is the first way that we can overcome barriers? Well, we've touched on this a little bit. But taking responsibility for your own education, seeking out resources and from different perspectives, mm -hmm. go outside your comfort zone. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's okay. Really, it'll be okay. It can be hard. Right. But you can do it by being awkward and exposing yourself to something that makes you feel uncomfortable. You will grow from that. Mm -hmm. Right. If you're open to the experience, then it'll be good for you. Right. Just like going to the dentist. Do we like it? <laughs> 
No. It Who does? makes us very uncomfortable to have someone in our mouths with all those tools, but right. it's good for us. Right. And we have to be open to the feedback. I know that's such a weird correlation you just made, but we have to be open to the feedback, right? Like When the dentist you... tells you you need to floss more. Every single time, I'm guilty, but they say it. Oh, yeah. I'm like, okay, that's where I'm at. <laughs> I think all of us can benefit from having the willingness to ask if you don't know. There's so much red tape and social taboo when asking about things you don't know about. Asking someone's pronouns, asking how they want to identify. I've often found in my experience when somebody asks, I'm never offended. I see from my end that they actually are demonstrating cultural humility because they have an eagerness to learn, that they are willing to put aside their own perspective to learn about mine, you know? And so that is that piece of cultural humility that I'm looking for as a, as a really good measure. Being willing to ask when you don't know is a huge way to get over that first barrier. I agree. The next way that we can overcome barriers that I often find is helpful is when going through this cultural humility journey, you have to be able to validate others' experience, even if you don't fully understand it. We often try and tell people, put yourself in their shoes, or how would you feel? You don't have to feel or be in their shoes to know or accept that that is somebody else's experience. I will never understand or even remotely feel the same way that a lot of people do in this country, but I can validate that experience and, and say, yeah, that's what you go through and that's real. And I don't have to measure that. I don't have to prove that it exists. I get to see you as a human and say, yeah, that sucks. Yeah. <laughs> Recognizing someone when they tell you their truth, just saying, I believe you. Right. It's another way that we can overcome barriers. What about you? Can you think of another way that we can overcome barriers? We can give ourselves permission to be imperfect. I think if failure is okay. Learn from it. Mm -hmm. I think sometimes we're so scared to make a mistake that we don't even try. Right. But really, we learn from failure. Oh my gosh, Hector and I have made so many mistakes making this episode. <laughs> just this um, episode alone. Like just, just this episode, episode alone. You know, it's a big topic and there's no right answer. Yeah, we went through a lot this last week and a half. So yeah, it, so here we are just being afraid, but doing it anyway. Mm -hmm. And we're ready to make mistakes and just do what we can. Yeah. What about us professionals? How do you do that? How do you give yourself permission as a speech therapist? How do you give yourself permission as a coworker, as just a professional working with the population? What can you do to say, okay, this is okay. I can do this. I can make a mistake and it's okay. You know what? I'm not sure how. I'm thinking to certain situations where I've made a mistake in the past. And it makes me think about when I sing in choir, mm. when you're a choral singer or a musician of any kind and you're in performance, you make a mistake. You don't stop the music. You don't, mm, I love you know, that. you don't stop and say, oh, no, no, no. We got to start over. Right. You just have to, you just have to keep going and you're not ignoring the problem, but you're saying, okay, I've made a mistake. I'm moving on and I'm working harder for the future. Right. And I've applied that sort of musician's mindset to my therapy. I've made mistakes with students. I've made mistakes with coworkers. And I acknowledge that I've made a mistake. And then I work harder. 
I think that's a really good way to look at it. It's funny for me personally, I've completely understood the value of making mistakes by modeling it for my students or clients by working with them and demonstrating, oh, Hector messed up on this too. You can mess up as well. I figured that I'm indirectly targeting resiliency. I'm giving them that permission to make mistakes. And by doing that over time, Mm -hmm. I've actually adopted that reality into my own personal life. It's like I faked it until I made it. Another way other people can do it, a manager, you can definitely show vulnerability for the people that work under you and say, hey, you want to be creative? Try it. If it doesn't work out, that's okay. You know, like, I just want you to keep trying. And that's how you can foster that in the private sector. You can foster that in so many different ways by giving others permission to not be perfect. You also give yourself that permission as well. It makes me think, I remember in our last episode, we talked about using your SLP skills for certain situations. It seemed you can use your SLP skills to learn cultural humility too. Yeah, you can definitely use your SLP skills to be able to work as a professional, not just with your clients, but with parents, with advocates, with you name it, anybody. That's the beauty of cultural humility is that you're aware of yourself. So you can be able to better work with anybody else as a result of that. Also, what's important with targeting this work in yourself is that you give others grace to change as well for them to do their work. And when you get to see them where they're at, you don't hold judgment. You set boundaries, but you give them the space that they need to do the work or not, but we hope that they will. Right. And that's all you can do. You can hope for the best. So that's another way. What else can you think about? Is there any others? Oh, we haven't talked about being more of a listener during this time rather than a talker. Oh, right. Right. Which is hard. It's so hard. But again, using your SLP skills, right? (laughs) At least when I was in training, I was told to get the student or client to talk more, that they should be doing more of the talking than you. Um, I think everyone should have that training. (laughs) I mean, how to talk less. (laughs) How to talk less and listen more. That is definitely yeah. something that the whole world could use right now. But yeah. again, as SLPs, we have that extra skill, which is wonderful. It's another way as professionals, we can save that space or give space to those that don't normally have that opportunity. And so we get to demonstrate our cultural humility by being quiet right. and by being humble. We're saying, hey, I'm not doing this for my own validation to make it feel like I'm doing my own work. I'm truly giving space for others to have a seat at the table that we talked about before. Yeah. And when you open yourself up to that, it can be a really beautiful thing. Oh, you know, if we all just took time to listen a little bit more. Imagine where the world could be. Oh, let's end on warm fuzzies yes and that you know i'd say that's about all the time that we have i hope all that made sense we just want to say thank you to everyone for the amazing support both natalie and i have been shown since we released our first episode we are so grateful to the kind words and continued support you all give We also wanted to clarify that while this podcast is called The Queer SLP, this is so much more than that. I guess we could have called it The Queer Professional, but then we'd be opening up a can of worms we weren't really ready to handle, which is why we'll be introducing a new segment to our podcast in our next episode that we like to call our 
proud professionals. God e- love that alliteration. I, I love it. <laughs> I can't not do it. <laughs> for each proud professional episode, we'll highlight a different queer professional and give them a platform and space to share their story. I want you to picture Humans of New York meets basically any reality TV confessional. Like that's Ooh. what we're going for. <laughs> Intrigue. It's going to be great. So with that, thanks for listening to the Queer SLP. This week, we talked about cultural humility and its implications in our world today and every day as working professionals. We also provided you with a few resources to check out as part of your weekly homework. Check out the links in the description or caption for that information. Please subscribe, rate, and review us wherever you are listening to this show. Tell your friends and colleagues about this podcast and make sure to tell them how to find us. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at The Queer SLP. Tune in next time for our first proud professional episode. Bye. Bye.